Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Edna White. I am your host for Keeping It Real on Purpose. And this is the place where you show up. We talk about things uh, around life and uh, relationships, finances, physical and mental health, and so much fun. Again, my name is Edna White. I am your host. And today I am excited to have Tana, Dr. Tana. Did I say that right? Tana yep. Seth. Yay! See, audience, audience, you guys know. I kind of mess people's names up. But Dr. Tana Session, and she is world-renowned, I'm hearing. She's a strategist, a speaker, and a consultant. Welcome to Keeping It Real, Dr. Tana. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Edna. So how do you show up in the world? I want our audience to know this. I show up depending on the situation. So when I think about when I think about from a personal perspective, so I'm, I'm married. I have um, a, a son and a bonus son, and they're grown. And my husband and I have been empty nesters. Oh, okay. Thirteen. So you know we kind of get to do whatever we want when we want, which is a great thing. Uh, we work really hard to get here. So, right. Uh, that's one way I show up is you know as a wife and a mom, and right. then the other way when I think about the strategist and consulting work that I do. Um, I show up as an accountability partner. I show up as someone who holds up a mirror in a loving, teachable, trusting, compassionate uh-huh. way um, to help my clients, whether it's CEOs and their leadership team or just individual employees, frontline employees, um, come to the realization of where their own belief systems have impacted their view of the world. I see. And this this has to do with the workplace, correct? A lot of your yes. stress. Okay. Let, I want to talk about, and I know we have just discussed it, um, you know, talking about um, racism or microaggressions in the workplace. And I know that's that's probably your, for, your forte and that you, you, you hold the mirror up for that. That's great. So let's talk about that and how impactful that can be for anyone and how you start to work in that in that area. Sure. Um, so first, understand that microaggressions are a level of bias. It's also a form of discrimination. Mm-hmm. And and some people are sensitive to that because they feel like everyone's being oversensitive and everyone wants to be canceled culture and you can't say anything to anybody without hurting your feelings. Right. Some of that may be valid. However, a lot of microaggressions are based on stereotypes, and that's what we need to be able to define the difference. Right. So if I meet someone who, let's say, is of Asian descent, and they're new on my team, and they start to speak, and the first thing I tell them is, wow, your English is great. (laughs) Yeah, I've heard that before, yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. yeah, because my assumption is that because they are of Asian descent, they're not from the United States, they weren't born here, and as a result, they're English, I'm surprised by how well they speak English. Right. Or telling a black person, you're so articulate. Right. Same concept, right? So your stereotype tells you this person, I'm impressed by the way this person speaks. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think that's what we have to understand is what are microaggressions. Ultimately, what they do is they make people feel others. They feel like they don't belong. They feel like they're not good. Ah. They feel like um, you know they're being treated differently than everyone else. And oftentimes, they are marginalized, underrepresented groups or individuals from those groups within the workplace. Right. And they're being treated that way because of a stereotype that someone has. This is based on a bias. Okay. Okay. So how does this play out on, in the workplace? And let's take, take that part first. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, so 
starts off with how we engage and interact with each other. Okay. So in the workplace, we have, you know, hopefully a diverse workforce. And we may have assumptions that we make about people which create these spontaneous judgments that are based on some level of bias. Mm -hmm. The implicit bias says it's based on stereotype or an attitude that you have about this person. Right. Because of whatever social category box they check or multiple boxes, right? Because there's also the right. personality of it all. And so when they view someone through that lens without knowing them or spending time getting to know them, they make assumptions. Like mm -hmm. I've used the example of when I was head of HR at a company, and I remember I, uh, my office was on the executive floor because I was the chief HR officer, and I got on the elevator, and there was a visitor there, and they automatically assumed that I was an administrative assistant. And I was like, I can take you to the receptionist. <laughs> <laughs> And they'll be able to help you. I right. know I'm the, I'm the chief human resource officer. And just the look on their face that, oops, but also, wow, right? Right. That was that was a microaggression. So even simple things, again, in our interactions with one another, a, a microaggression can be a look. You go into a store, you're a person of color, you go into a store, mm -hmm. and people look to see, what are you doing here? Or do you need to be followed? Or, right. you know, ask me multiple times, do you need help? Do you need assistance? Can I help you with anything? Right? Mm -hmm. just browsing. So those are microaggressions, right? Because the assumption is I'm a person of color, particularly let's say black, and I'm probably going to feel something. Right. So that's how it plays out in the workplace is that these individuals are having these experiences happen to them over and over and over again. So I tell people when I do trainings on this to think about it as a paper cut. So the first time you get a paper cut at night, you're not going to get a bandage, you're not going to go to the hospital, mm -mm. stitches. you know, you're going to shake it off, you probably go on with your day. Right. But if you continually get that same paper cut in that same spot over wow. and over and over again, it becomes a trauma. You will have to go get it treated. You will oh, have yeah. to stitches. In the workplace, what that means is they are going to withdraw. Um, they're going to do what everyone's talking about right now, quiet quitting. Mm -hmm. They are going to have reduced productivity, lo lower levels of engagement and motivation. And ultimately, they'll probably leave if they don't just resign in the seat. Mm -hmm. So... That's when we start seeing people just not being part of the group, not really having a voice, or not expressing their thoughts and opinions because of the fact that they've been treated this way time and time again. So you try almost to disappear. Yeah. And I know I experienced that uh, myself in my last position. Um, it, it, it's really demeaning. Um, and I didn't think that, you know, I, I hear people say, well, I'm strong, you know, and I can take that. And I'm like, I, 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 I call myself very strong, you know, and I don't think so. <laughs> and I was like, it couldn't take it. What, what, um, what could we do? Like what as people of color, women of color, I know I'm a woman. So, you know, what could we do to start to change that for ourselves? I know for me, I left, I couldn't, I couldn't make them change their mind. Um, and it was very difficult to help, you know, get them to change their mind. And I, I felt like I was always battling. It was a battle all the time. Is that what you, is that what you've gotten in the past? Like, you know, oh, talking. Yeah. Those are very valid feelings. And, and sometimes we self-doubt those feelings, right? Right. Oversensitive or. Right. And I was told that too, as well. Yeah. Like you start giving them the benefit of the doubt, right? And it's almost like you gaslight yourself. Mm-hmm. So you start like thinking like, well, maybe it's me. Well, no, it's not. Yeah. Those are real. They're valid. Right. And so, you know, there are different ways that people approach dealing with microaggressions. Mm -hmm. And um, there's three ways I talk about in my training. So one of the ways is 
you directly address it with the individual, if you have a very open and, you know, trusting relationship with them where you can make this a teachable moment to say, hey, you know, when I was in a meeting, I was presenting and you told me that I was articulate. I didn't really take it as a compliment. I'm hoping that's what you meant by it. Right. But let me explain to you why it's not. Right? Right. Because sometimes it's just a lack of self-awareness or knowledge even, mm-hmm. or education. So I call them, you call them in for the conference. You don't call them out. You call them in. You have a teachable moment. If you don't have that type of relationship with the person, then find someone who does at least trust that can either mediate the conversation okay. with you, which I do encourage having you part of that conversation, or at least um, starting to tee up the conversation with that individual yes. and say, hey, you know, Edmund, when you told Tanya that she was articulate in the meeting, I know you probably meant that as a compliment, but she is the only black person on the team, and I've never heard you say that to anyone else, so you may want to have a conversation with her to see if she thought it was a compliment. Mm-hmm. Um, Right now, sometimes again, that could work in your favor. It could not. The person can get very defensive, say, "Hey, I didn't mean anything by it." Or what yeah. So sensitive, like all of those things, right? Right. And that could be a natural reaction because they do feel embarrassed, right? Or they feel like they've done something wrong, or God forbid, you're calling them a racist, right? <laughs> yeah. And then God forbid. the other way is people just don't do anything, right? They're right. comfortable uh, in their own skin, and they feel like this happens all the time. It's not a big deal. Oh, it doesn't bother me. But at the end of the day, if you're really honest with yourself, even if it's the 1,000th time that someone has said that to you, yeah. it's still that little, uh, Exactly. Like, little, it little really pitch. is. Mm-hmm. And, and you feel like, okay, that didn't feel good, but whatever, right? I'll right. prove them wrong. I'll prove them, you know, I'll prove myself better than what they think. Right. And so we put this pressure on ourselves to, to go over and above. So it's multiple ways I think people uh, address microaggressions, deal with microaggressions, mm-hmm. um, you know, admit even if what they experience is a microaggression. And oh, by the way, you mentioned women. Or being a woman, I too identify as female. Mm-hmm. And women experience microaggressions more than any other group in the workforce. I believe that, yes. Mm-hmm. And aside from that, you intersect that with women of color. Right. And they are the group that experiences microaggressions greater than any other group, regardless of what gender or ethnicity they exactly. have in the workplace. And I'm, I'm seeing that a lot... Uh, Tana, I'm saying that's a lot with a lot of, of my clients as well. They're leaving positions um, because of that. Um, mm-hmm. And it's very, you know, I know for myself, I was getting migraines and I never had a migraine in my life. You know? And yeah. it was really, it, it really, and you think about it, like you said, and I'm glad you said that being the only black woman, I was the only black woman in several meetings and to hear just like when you're expressing something and you're, you're sharing and, you know, um, the words that they say, it, you're like, oh, wait, wait, if, you know, wait, wait, if you're talking about a group of people and you say these people, that kind of disturbs me. So if you're saying that in, around me, I, I, I guess you're just like lumping me in with, with whomever you're talking about because it, that's degrading. And when you when you kind of like say that, it's met with all kind of. Then you get the faces. Then you get the yep. you get the faces. You get the now I'm not talking to you. Or if you're coming on the meeting, I'm not going to be there. You know all of this. You get all this um, this display of behaviors that when you do try try to address it, it becomes um, now you're being overly sensitive. You know, I tell people, you know, they, they have to protect their peace. So you mentioned that some yeah. of your clients just leave their jobs. I've done the same. Yeah. Um, I've also, you know, addressed those when I felt that, you know, someone did tell me in a, you know, in a presentation that yeah. 
you know, you were so articulate or something like that. Right. And, and I talked to them about it afterwards. And the first thing they said was, well, that was a compliment. Well, a compliment can be in a microaggression. So yeah, right. <laughs> let me explain to you why that doesn't work for right. me. Right. Now, I don't speak on behalf of all black people. Or right. Black women or Just women. me. Yeah. It's my lived experience mm-hmm. because that tells me that you, your impression of me is that I'm less than what I am. Right. And you were surprised by how well I was able to right. share my thoughts, my opinions, or present this data and this information, and that's a problem. Right, exactly that, and I've addressed as as well. I've addressed it, and and it doesn't go through. It's it's they always stuck in. I have black friends, and I'm like, oh. then I'm like, yeah, but that's not world. has nothing to do with what I'm talking to you about. That's, that's the number one defense. That and I'm not a yeah. racist. <laughs> yeah, I have yeah, I, I have I have black friends. I was like, yeah, that doesn't that I'm not talking about them right now. I'm talking about right. how you made me feel, and. It, and then when you don't have allies, how, how do you deal with not having any allies? Like you said, you you know, get a mediator. The only other choice I would think would be to leave like I did, but I had no, I had no ally within the organization. Yeah, and I've been in that situation as well. And then when I think back on those situations, I did the exact same thing. I left over a period of time. I was like, this just isn't the place for me. Yeah. I don't feel I can be my best self, and I'm not valued or appreciated, and I don't feel included. I don't feel I belong. So, again, understanding what those boundaries are for you is going to be different for every person. Right. You know, finding allies, I think, can be challenging. You know, as you mentioned, being the only, right? So whether it's the only woman, the only mm-hmm. person of color, the right. only gay person, the only right. person with disability, you know, the only veteran, like the list right. goes on. Yeah. Um, finding an ally that is, A, willing to advocate on your behalf when you're not in the room. Right. Advocate on your behalf more so when you are in the room, so right? Their voice and their power and privilege and influence in those moments, and then they're also willing to understand what your lived experiences are, although they may be completely different than theirs, mm-hmm. without trying to um, validate or invalidate them, right. right? So, listening with an ear to really understand those experiences versus to respond and say, Well, ah, yeah, or maybe you felt like this. Or, Maybe it was that, or not everything is about race, or not everything is about gender. Well, for my lived experience, it has been. Right. Um, so I think that's where, you know, we have to understand, like, what exactly is an ally, first and foremost. Like, it's not an individual, it's about the action. Uh-huh. Yeah, that makes oh, sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So who's willing to speak up in those moments? Who's willing to kind of put their neck out there, right? right. Especially when they're part of the majority but they may be part of the minority that feels that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're willing to stand up against the others that look like them, think like them, to say, hey, that's not right. Yeah. And here's why. Mm-hmm. And to your point about migraines, I do want to go back to that in sure. a second. Because the other thing about microaggressions is that they do impact health of those individuals that experience them. Yeah. And some people may discount that and say, how's that possible? It goes beyond mental well-being. Mm-hmm. It can also cause, um, mo- uh, you know, multiple instances of anxiety and stress yeah. and depression. Yeah. And and sometimes even thoughts of suicide. Yeah. And I so was that's feeling, the other yeah. thing people have to think about, you know, mm-hmm. about, you know, kids that are being teased in school that we maybe have heard about in the news that, you know, committed suicide. A lot of it was based on the fact that they experienced these microaggressions over and over, over and, and over. Over and over, yeah. And Absolutely. they didn't have the mental capacity in terms of either how to speak up for themselves or how to bring in other advocates, or maybe they did and things didn't change. And so they, they you know, ultimately, you know, committed suicide as a result sure. of stress and anxiety and depression that they were dealing with. So it affects adults as well. And that's why they say that um, people of color, black indigenous people of color, experience health conditions around 
that are related to stress and anxiety mm-hmm. and depression at an earlier age than their white counterparts. It's true. I know I did. I, I never thought that I would experience that because, you know, um, I owned my own business for years, like 20 years. This is my first job. Okay. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I got, you know, enough experience. They wanted me to work with them, you know, in um, housing. And I was like, I couldn't even fathom that this, you know, things were happening the way they were. And I'm like, this can't be, you know, I just, and I wanted, like you said, I was gaslighting myself. <laughs> I was gaslighting myself and finally it was getting me very sick. I literally had anxiety just to think about, I wasn't even going into the office, but just to think about going onto a meeting at 9 a.m. with them on Zoom, I got excruciating headache. I must have gained like six wrinkles in the top of my, my head. It was, it was really getting to me. I had finally had to say, you know, I got to go see the doctor. You know, I have to take time off and go to see the doctor because... I knew I wasn't going to last any longer. I tried to push it, you know what I'm saying? Push it and push it, but it was just a lot. And it does affect you in your, in your body, your mind, all of that. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's very serious. Yeah, it's very and serious. You know, it's, it's unfortunate because people do try to, to gaslight you and make you think it's not real mm-hmm. or that you're being too sensitive. And, you know, then you start to question. Right? Exactly. You are the minority and you're hearing this from multiple people. You're like, well, maybe I'm being too sensitive or it's not that big of a deal. Right. Or, hey, I'm sure they didn't mean anything. You know, otherwise, I, you know, we get along very well. And, right. And, you know, we start to talk ourselves out of the fact of what that experience is. Right. Yeah. I, I, I totally get it. <laughs> with, mm-hmm. with Dr. Dana. Uh, Dr. Dana. Dana. Dr. Tana. I know. <laughs> I was trying to keep it in my head, Dr. Tana. Um, can you share like a, a, a you know a story about maybe one of your clients that really impacted your life and and um, changed like the dynamic of like your business? Ooh, um, so many. <laughs> um, are you thinking corporate client or individual? It doesn't any client that really just like made a, a general impact on you. Yeah. Yeah. I'll speak about a corporate client. Um, so there's a CEO who mm-hmm. is a female. She identifies as a member of the LGBTQ plus community, mm-hmm. um, white. And she reached out to me around the summer, late summer of 2020. So okay. again, when a lot of companies were having this awakening and looking within and realizing like there's some things we got to do differently here following right. the murder of George Floyd. Right. And I always ask the question when people reach out to me, in particular around that time, because I've been doing this type of work since 2007. Okay. And I always ask them, why now? And what does diversity mean to you? Mm-hmm. And her explanation to me when I asked her why now, like, why do you want to focus on this for your organization now? Why is this important? She said, I understand my privilege as a white woman. I understand my privilege as, um, you know, someone of you know financial means. Right. And... I have not really looked outside of my own experience to understand how others who aren't white, not from financial means, um, may have experienced challenges that ultimately doesn't mean that this country is really a meritocracy, which means that, you know, you work hard enough, you'll be successful. Right. 
And so having that conversation with her early on in the process let me know that Ace was doing this for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. Her mind were in the right place as a CEO. Right. Uh, that she she was very vested in the journey in terms of putting resources behind the work. And I tell people resources mean people, time, and money. Mm-hmm. And and ultimately, um, you know, being the the biggest advocate for ensuring that all employees within her organization, regardless of level, background, experience, where they come from, or even where they work, because they have offices all around the nation, um, that they feel a sense of belonging and inclusion. And she's also empowered the employees to say, look, because they're client-facing. So if a client comes in and they say something, mm-hmm. <clears throat> like your example, like you people, right, or those people, you have the permission to address that in the moment and let them know why that is not appropriate. Right. And if you don't feel comfortable, take it to your manager and let your manager address it. And if the client decides they want to leave and take their business elsewhere, that's perfectly fine by me. I'm the CEO and I'm letting you know that. It's right. not about the dollars, it's about my people. Right. If you do right by your people, the dollars will come. And that to me was why I do this work. Like if every single CEO could have that epiphany, right. every single CEO could really be that type of voice of empowerment for their people. And for the organization as a whole, doesn't mean they have to do the work because this CEO, she's not doing the actual work, right? right. She's empowered a council, she's empowered individuals and, and you know, to do the work. Right. But she's the head or the executive sponsor of this work. And that to me says that, um, yeah, that organizations are going to grow and evolve in the right way. And they have. I've been working with them now for two and next year, they've already moved for next year. Wow, that's, that's, imp- that's really powerful. Like you said, I wish that a lot of CEOs would, would jump on board with that because it's yeah. really need, it's necessary. Okay. You know, it's really necessary. So how do we um, get in touch with Dr. Session and, 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 and how can we get a session with Dr. Session? <laughs> Well, a couple of ways. I mean, the best way, of course, is through my website, so planamsession.com. And it's okay. P-A-N-A-M for Marie Session, S-E-S-S-I-O-N, no S at the end, dot com. <laughs> okay. And alternatively, I'm on all social media platforms, very active on LinkedIn. Um, okay. Of course, uh, just recorded my second course for them. Okay. Um, my first course is still available, so, you know, they can research me on LinkedIn. And all right. Anything that I have going on there. And then, yeah, okay. all other social media platforms as well. Nice. Well, it was very nice to speak to you and just collaborate. And I love what you're saying. I'm sure I'm going to have you back because this is not enough time to get all that we need to know about this whole subject because it's really impacting women. I would say in the forties and the fifties a lot right now. So, um, definitely I want to have you back. We really do. Thank you for being here and audience. Remember to reach out to Dr. Session and she is found on the all around. I, I think I I think I found you on we found each other on LinkedIn. So make sure you, you reach out um, because this is definitely something that's um, necessary. Be like that CEO wanting to empower everyone that's around you. Thank you so much. If, if you don't mind, I would sure. like to just leave everyone. Um, I do have a book available. Oh, nice. Um, I'll send you a copy if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember, but it's called Working While Black. No, I didn't get that. Oh, you didn't? Okay, yeah. Working on Black, A Woman's Guide to Stop Being the Best Kept Secret. And um, Oh, you're coming back. Send you a copy. Yes, Um, you're coming back. (laughs) Okay, good. Yeah, definitely want to get that plug and let people make 
so they can pick up a copy. Okay. So all books are sold and also on my website. Wonderful. And the title of the book, one more time, because I got excited. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Working While Black, A Woman's Guide to Stop Being the Best Kept Secret. Wow. Oh yeah, you're coming back. I we we have to go through this this book. We're coming back. <laughs> Definitely. I I really thank you for being here. Thank you f just for what you're saying and what you're doing, how you're showing up in the world for all of us and making and empowering other people. I thank you for that. All right. All right, audience, thank you for being around here today and we're going to say goodbye for the moment. Thank you so much again and have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thank you, Dr. Session. Thank you, Edna. Thanks for having me. Okay.